God commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman, <laughs> we still do this. And I'm not just talking about the woman. The woman that you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. <laughs> and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? What does she do? Follows Adam's lead. The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There's a lot to that. I don't have time to get into. But just the other day, we were doing some work in the lot right beside the house, uh, our blessing. <laughs> and while we were doing our work over there, I think, it, who was that? Was that Matt or Jesse? It was, it was Matt. Matt yeah, lets out a yell, and Mama comes going over there, and that poor snake didn't have a chance. <laughs> we proceeded to safely relocate this spreading adder across the street. Of course, by the time it got over there, it was beheaded and cut in half about two or three times, but we did look both ways before we crossed the street. (laughs) Hence, safely relocated. There's a reason, ladies, the snakes give you the heebie-jeebies. Guys, there's a reason you don't like that slithering. The other day at Matt's tournament, one of his opponents had hit his ball behind the green near a marsh, and we were all trying to find his golf ball. And I got over to a real deep area of, 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 of uh, grass, real close to the water, and I saw this big body, big black body, slither back in the grass. I went, whoa, whoa. And, and everybody, they didn't say, oh, did you come upon a dragonfly? Oh, did you see a gopher? They knew exactly what that was about. There is enmity between us and the serpent because of that original fall. God did curse the serpent because of what happened there at the beginning. Our disgust, our disposition to snakes is a result of the fall of our deception. Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 24 continues. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. True. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Guys, whatever you ever do, don't ever tell your wife, man, that hurt. That hurt about as much as it did when you bore the children for for us. Don't ever say anything like that because it's not true. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you. By the way, ladies, that what I just read about the man having the rule of the husband, it goes back to there. Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Guys, that's why you're out in the yard cutting the grass. That's why you're out there moving the trees. That's why you have the burden of supplying the needs for your family. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, men... You will eat your food until you return to that ground from which you came. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all of the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Guys, he didn't take the fig leaves. That was Adam and Eve. Blood had to be shed. 
Blood had to be shed for Adam and Eve's safety and warmth and protection. Today, blood had to be shed for your and I's salvation. For our country to be free, we have a military. Blood continues to have to be shed for us to stay free and to experience liberty. The man has now become like one of us, God said, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. When I was younger, a little bit unlearned, I used to think, well, that's not fair. We ate that. Why don't you just let us have about that? Come on. What's the deal? What's wrong with us having eternal life right now? God, what's the deal? You don't want us to have good things? Friend, if Adam and Eve had have eaten from that tree of life, their damnation would have been permanent. There would have been no hope for them whatsoever. Not even Jesus dying on the cross would have ever saved us from our sins. Because the, the, the disease, the, the, there would have been permanence to our condition. So God protected us from ourselves. So there would be an open door for us to receive redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. Salvation through Jesus has freed our souls from the fall, but not our flesh. It is cursed. That's why our hearts are broken every time we lose a loved one or a friend to death. It's a terrible, horrible thing that I will never be comfortable in the midst of. But it is something we have to relive over and over again. Because even though our souls can be redeemed and saved and protected, this body, this flesh continues to get older, slower, because it is cursed of God. It is the last living testament of the fall that we have. We are headed toward the ground at terminal velocity. Maybe not our souls because we're saved. Our souls are not. But our bodies, you can't stop that fall. No matter how many ointments, creams, or oils, or pills that you see advertised come across the market, you can't stop yourself from getting old. And when you see somebody that is 80-something years old and still so beautiful, there's a whole lot of surgery involved there, my friend. And it's not real. That's why sometimes I see people that... I'm not, I'm not saying I'm against plastic surgery. It, it, it makes people easier on the eyes. I'm not saying that. But I've often wondered, you know, how people, when they go and they get their teeth fixed, they get their noses redone, they get their face redone, and then they marry some guy, and then they have a child, and that child comes out with those crooked teeth, that big, long nose, and every imperfection that person had. That guy probably says, What happened? <laughs> We, <laughs> we are cursed and we can't stop it. We can't protect these bodies from the curse. And everyone in your workplace, everyone in your family, everyone in every relationship you will ever have is experiencing terminal velocity. Atheists, terminal velocity. Agnostics, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims. Everybody is falling at a spiritual Terminal velocity. That is why it is so crucial and important for you to do the right thing at the right time. Church, when we canceled seniors the other day and we said it's more important 
that we minister to a family. Even though they're not, they, they, they haven't adopted a church of their own, we adopted them. That was a wonderful, beautiful thing because we demonstrated to them the love of Christ and the hospitality of the church. Beautiful, beautiful action. Because we are telling them, hey, listen, God loves you and we're going to demonstrate that through our love for you. Unconditional. People began at that moment to say, hey, wait a minute. And then they begin to get their bearings and maybe, hopefully, prayerfully, they'll begin to see the ground coming up at them at an incredible rate of speed. It'll cause them to stop and to pause. We as Christians and church people, we have caused so much damage with our credibility. We have behaved so ugly at times, said the wrong thing at the wrong time. We've done terrible things. And people around us are saying, yeah, I don't want nothing to do with that. Look at them. I didn't change them. But when we behave rightly, righteously, then they begin to see what's really happening. The song goes away and turns from free falling to Jesus saves. They begin to see what's really going on and you become a missionary. You begin saying, you do realize you can't stop this. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. And after that, the judgment. This has been, was true a long time ago. It's true now and it will be true after you and I both are gone. To the unbeliever, his senses betray him. They betray him. The flesh on whose arm he leans does not sense this spiritual condition. He's, woo, having a good time. And he needs a friend. He needs someone that really loves him or her to say, hey, I just want you to know. You say, well, Brother David, I've told them. It's okay. Good. Well done. Keep telling them. Tell them with love. Tell them with patience. But you keep telling them. There's one thing that your friend or relative has in you as a child of God that is so valuable you have no idea. To have a friend or relative that loves God when you're an unbeliever is the most valuable asset they have on the planet. It makes the devil scared in his boots. He can't handle you. He can't, pre- he can't prevent you from doing anything. He is powerless in the face of your love and your concern and your knowledge. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep loving. Keep praying. And know that God is ever on the job. Don't ever get discouraged in well-doing. Don't get tired of doing the right thing. You keep loving them. You keep telling them they need you. Hopefully that unbeliever will eventually sense their condition and realize. To the believer, to you, we must look around us and see that everyone is indeed falling. And some of these people, they don't have a parachute. As a matter of fact, look around, count the parachutes. When a plane goes down in in a squadron, all the other pilots that are still safe in their cockpits look over, and they're waiting for chutes. They're waiting for parachutes to give everybody else hope. They count the parachutes coming out of that plane. As a child of God, you look at your friends, you need to start counting parachutes. Everything that your friend or relative does that that is close to the Lord, that is a sign of a parachute opening. Anytime you get a chance to encourage them and to love them, you are strengthening the fiber in their parachute. You are literally creating a parachute on their being. When you love, when you're patient, that's why sinners don't need your disgust. They don't need need your, your disdain. They need your love. They need your patience. 
When you have an opportunity to encourage them, encourage them. Hey, you know what you did? That was good. And you know what they do? They say, hey, Christian said I was good. That's awesome. Matthew, if Jason Duffner or Tiger Woods came in and said, 72, way to go, man. That's incredible. Would that encourage you at all? Absolutely. You are Tiger Woods. You are Jason Duffner. You are a U.S. Open winner when it comes to sinners. And they're waiting to hear some kind word of encouragement from you. You don't have to tell them you're not there, but you're getting there. When they hear you, encourage them and say, you know what? God loves you, and I'm, I'm for you too. And I'm praying that his best will take place in your life. Will you pray for me that God's best will take place in my life too? Friend, give them your love. Give them your understanding. Give them your prayer. Give them your faith. Look to your left. Look to your left. Now look to your right. You just saw two missionaries in the pew with you. Every single one of you are called to make a difference in somebody's life. You're a missionary. You're a parachute counter. You're a parachute manufacturer. It's yours and my job. It's not a preacher. It's not a movement. It's not an evangelist. Don't leave it up to Franklin Graham or Billy Graham or anybody else. It's your job to make a difference in your environment for the good. John chapter 3 verse 3 and 16. I close with this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son that whoever believes in him, shall not die, but will have everlasting life. I can say that over their soul and their spirit, who they really are. You've all been to funerals, and you've looked into the coffins and the caskets, and very, very rarely do they look normal or natural. Very, very often they look a little different, a little skewed. And the reason they do is because they are not there. You're looking, looking at the equivalent of their fingernail or their hair. You're looking at what is left. But who they really are is with the Lord. And that's what we are called to do is to minister, to love, to hug, to reach out and touch these people and say, Nobody can stop your body from going where we don't want to go. But your soul doesn't have to follow that same path. I was debating a guy that believed in eternal security. And this guy said, see, when I sin, it's not me that sins. It's my flesh. My spirit is not sinning. It's just my flesh. And he showed it to me Bible. I said, well, you know, it, it, Paul did say that. And I went to my dad and I said, Dad... <laughs> You know, this is what he said. Well, what do you think about that? And here's what my dad answered. He said, tell him. <laughs> tell him to go down the jewelry store and reach in and get as many diamonds as he wants out of that case. Put it in his pocket. And when the police cuff him as he's walking out, tell the police, it wasn't my flesh that stole this. I mean, it wasn't my spirit. It was my flesh. And you tell him to separate himself from his flesh and go in his free way. Friend, if your flesh sins, you are accountable, you are responsible for that. The curse fell on Adam and Eve, and that included their spirit. That's why God gave his only begotten son, so that we could be free from the curse that will never be lifted off of our body. God does give us temporary relief from it, but these bodies are doomed. They're destined to die. I hope and pray there's no one in here that everything's wrapped up 
in this. I want to encourage you, look around, look at the ground, and understand that unless your parachute is sure, you will perish. Have you lost your mind? I hope not. Awaken your spiritual senses today and help the people that God has put in your life around you. You are here for a reason. You were supposed to hear this. And I want to encourage you to maximize that moment. Accelerate your life. And let's make a difference for Jesus Christ. Bow your heads with me, please, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have not lost our mind. We have gained your life. We thank you so much for clothing us in your righteousness. Thank you for the death of your son on the cross. And in these next few moments, we choose to remember what you have done for us. God, there's more to it than just the thrill of life. There's the responsibility of eternity. And as men and women, young people and children, we accept that responsibility. We take our place among the ranks of heaven. And God, we will be found faithful. We love you, Father. We thank you for investing in us, your son. God, we're not going to let you down. Thank you for saving my soul. And thank you for making me effective in the environment you place me in. In Jesus' name, if you agree with me, say amen. Elders, would you please come at this time? The Bible says on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which was given for you. And as often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Can we do this too much? No. No. Today we remember what the Lord did for us. When you come here and receive this communion, I want you to do two things. I want you to remember who you are. I want you to remember that Jesus loves you. I want you to remember that he has saved you for purpose. And if you have any needs, any situation, something you want to ask God for, this is a great time to do it. Ask God to heal you. Ask God to touch your friend. Ask God to continually woo those that you love to his cross. Would you do it? It's the most powerful thing in the world that you can do. God is faithful and just to not only forgive, but to supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. The Bible says on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. After the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this is the New Testament in my blood. It's those animal skins. Blood had to be shed for our safety and our warmth and our comfort. Jesus has done that for you. I tell the confirmands, I say, what's the meaning of communion? If you ever wonder, read the table in remembrance of me. Jesus, I remember you and I deeply appreciate you. I appreciate you. The Bible says, before we receive, let a man examine himself. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, if there be any evil any wicked way in us. Lord, we want to separate ourselves from it. If you agree with me, I want you to begin to pray in your own way. God, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our trespassers as we forgive those that have trespassed against us. God, we distance ourselves from iniquity right now and ask that you would cleanse us and keep us white as snow. We love you. We don't want to offend you. We thank you, Jesus, for cleansing us and making us whole right now. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you did that, you are qualified to receive of the Lord's table. If you're a Christian, you're qualified to receive of God's table today. So receive ye, every one of you. Now, a word of, a word of encouragement, please. After you've received the Lord's table, when you go back to your seat, please remain quiet, respectful, and reverent for those that have yet to come before the Lord. The enemy will use the smallest little chatter and discussions and comments to get someone else's attention off of Christ and on themselves. Please show respect as the others are receiving today. Sarah Jo, would you please pray at this, pray at this time?